0: Good morning, Cornwall. It is so good to be with you once again at church. I hope you enjoyed our worship time together. Uh, for me, that was, it was awesome. Um, I'm Like you, I'm sitting uh, in a room with just a few people uh, isolated from everybody else, and yet uh, I could feel a connection That God was stirring and moving in our hearts that as we were responding in worship to who God is that he was choosing to meet with us and choosing to be with us this morning and I hope that this morning you are opening yourselves up to who God is and all that he has for you well we are in our 21 days of prayer and fasting season and last week we were talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting we're one week in Two weeks to go, and if you haven't started yet, you can join us today. It's not too late. There's no need to worry about, you know what, I missed uh, the first week of the prayer and fasting time. You know, I'll join next year, you know, uh, just join in from where you're at. doesn't matter if you're starting a day late, uh, a week late, join us and see what God wants to do in your life in this time, through this time of fasting. And remember, fasting is giving up something you love for someone you love more. And we really do want this to be an exercise and an expression of our love for God that we we withhold from ourselves some of the things that we do love on earth or require sometimes on earth, whether that's fasting foods and and things like that. We we withhold those things from ourselves to show God and to just express to, to God our love for Him and our desire to be closer to Him in this time to allow us to hear Him better as He leads and guides us in life. Now, doing something like fasting, we often think that, That act is going to make us holy. That by by doing that, we're somehow going to earn what God is looking for in us in order to earn his favor, earn what he's looking for, earn, uh, you know, brownie points with him, whatever it is that in your mind, it works out that you've, you've done what's needed in order to have God's good grace and good favor upon you. And you need to do those things in order for him to look down on you and say, oh, Jeff, great job. You know what? You, you tried hard and not fast, so I'm going to throw you a bone. We feel like sometimes that we have that type of thing, where holiness, this being set apart, and this like earning or or working towards being good in God's eyes, uh, will get us to look more like Jesus. And I heard this illustration once. I can't remember where I heard it, but it, it, it talked about how we, when we, when we figure out and look at. The idea of holiness, the idea of the rules that God may have laid out for us. In the, in the Bible, there's, there's 613 laws or rules or decrees that, that God had laid out. That's a lot. It sounds like a lot uh, of, of rules and laws to lay out. And when we think of those, we kind of think of them in terms of... Uh, the way I heard it was a metaphor was of a chair. And it's kind of like God has this chair... And he said, okay, the rule is don't touch the chair. And uh, whatever the 613 rules, whichever one you want to apply to it or whatever, don't touch the chair. And in our humanity, we're trying to figure out how to to manage this. Because we look at the chair and we want to touch the chair. We want to sit in the chair. The chair looks great and awesome, but we are told not to. And so to protect ourselves, we kind of think of it and go, you know what? Touching the chair, I, I, I'm too tempted to touch the chair. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a circle around the chair. And you know what? The rule now is don't come within three feet of the chair. That's the new rule. Because coming within three feet of the chair, you're going to be too tempted to be touch the chair and sit in the chair. So three feet becomes the new rule, all right? But then all of a sudden, be, getting within three feet of the chair becomes a rule that you break. And now all of a sudden you're like, I broke that rule. I'm not doing this well enough. I need a bigger rule. I need a better rule. Don't even go into the room that the chair's in. That's a better rule because now I'm not even tempted. But now if you go into the room, all of a sudden you break the rule. And you can see how this just keeps growing. And all of a sudden, the rule of don't touch the chair, in our humanity, in order to try and do that, we create all these extra rules and extra ways to protect ourselves or do the things that we think God's looking for in order for us to be in his good graces, in his good books, or uh, be doing what he's asked of us. And we, we make it even harder on ourselves to actually just live out what God has asked us to do. And so when we do things like fasting, we often heap on these extra ideas and feelings about what we're doing and how that's gonna help us earn. And so we, we, we make it harder on ourselves and we, we try to earn something that the actual act of fasting we actually have to look at that and say, does the actual act of fasting make you holy? Do these spiritual disciplines, are they the thing that make you holy? And when we look at that question, when we look to answer it, the answer though may be this, no. Those spiritual disciplines like fasting, will they make us more holy? Will they make us more like Jesus? It actually depends on how you define holiness. Tim Mackey describes holiness like this. God's holiness is rooted in his unique identity as the creator of the cosmos and the powerful source of all life and beauty and goodness. However, the power of God's holiness is also dangerous to us as mortal creatures. That same holiness that can create goodness and beauty and all that is life is also dangerous because of its power, the raw power and the raw perfection and purity of that holiness. Now, the Bible Project, if you've ever been to it on Bible project.com and look there they have an ex- they have excellent resources for describing some of these things and summarizing holiness and some of what we will talk about this morning is is a part of some of the summaries that they've done that just describe it so well and eloquently the holiness of god when we look in the Bible and, and, and we see it, we hear, you know, angels and seraphim and these creatures in heaven calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we see uh, him referred to as the Lord God Almighty and holy is this and, and everything like that. Except it doesn't quite determine in, in a definition type of phrase like we'd want today in our culture what exactly holiness is. Is. It doesn't give you that straight out definition. This is holiness. It, it kind of speaks to God's holiness and the character of God and, and talks about God being holy and it explains it and uses different ways and analogies and language to help us try to get a picture of it. And one of those earliest pictures that we see is Moses. When Moses, as a as a young man, is approaching, he, he's out in the wilderness and he is he's He's taking care of, of uh, sheep and goats and everything like that. He's a shepherd and he's, he's, he's wandering the wilderness while they're grazing and things like that. And as he passes by a bush, he sees that this bush is on fire but not being consumed. And being struck by the, the, the wonder of that, he, he moves closer to see what is really going on. And as he moves closer, God speaks to him from that bush and when he does he gives him instructions and the first thing he says is take off your sandals because the place that he was standing was holy ground and then he says for Moses not to come any closer that he's not allowed to approach God and get any closer to God because of God's holy presence and we get this picture of holiness as as something sacred something so so perfect and so pure that the, the shoes that we wear on our feet you know we can't step on it with shoes because it's it's holy and it's clean and we don't want to mess it up and we can't get too close to it because it's too powerful and we get this illustration we get this idea of holiness there think of it almost like the sun right the sun in our solar system it's good Right? It brings warmth. It brings life to earth. Yet, if we were to get too close to it, if the, the whole earth was to be just a few degrees closer to the, to the the sun, it would kill us. Not because it is bad, but because of its sheer goodness, it, its sheer per, like power that it has within it. That's kind of how that holiness from Moses was being described, that this this power and this rawness of this holiness that Moses couldn't get too close to. And that reflected in how the nation of Israel uh, would understand and get to know God's holiness on that level. They understand purity, like because of God's holiness is this purity, this, this undefiled nature that God is. They understood that purity in two ways. They understood it as moral and ritual purity, moral and ritual purity. And there's a book in the Old Testament in the beginning of the Bible called Leviticus. And it is all about how the nation of Israel was to engage or not engage with things that would make them impure, unholy. And if they did, there was a specific process to be made pure or clean again, to experience God's presence because becoming unclean or impure would mean they would be not allowed near God's presence. And in their time, God's presence was found in first the tabernacle, which was the center of their community as they traveled in in the desert after leaving Egypt. Uh, And then later in the temple in Jerusalem, that was God's holy of holies, where God's presence resided amongst humanity, a place that because of his presence, it was so pure, death would be the result if any were to approach or enter unclean. Sin in both moral and ritual purity would be a failure to be the image bearers of God that we were intended to be, a failure to continually love God and others without fail. That imagery, that, is, that holiness is, uh, is seen in the Old Testament there through the tabernacle, and through the Holy of Holies. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in writing to the church in Corinth, is trying to help them understand this concept of holiness. And he quotes from Exodus and Leviticus, and he says this, he says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. And this is a quote of the people of Israel needing to separate themselves from, from people that had a different way of life, a different culture, a different, different gods that they were worshiping. So separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will come, I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord All. Mighty. So yes, in a sense, in a very real sense, like Moses, the burning bush, the Holy of Holies, and the Apostle Paul talking in Corinth, holiness means being set apart unto God. Holiness means being set apart unto God. Yet, if holiness were to stop there, us being made pure would rest solely on us. We are the ones that set ourselves apart. We are the ones that touch no unclean thing. We are the ones that make sure we are pure, both morally and ritually. We are the ones that have that weight on us. We would have to find a way of cleaning ourselves off before approaching God. But this isn't the full story or picture of holiness that we see in the Bible. We see holiness differently with two other Old Testament characters in Isaiah and Ezekiel. In Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, Isaiah has a vision of God's holiness. And in his vision, Isaiah is so close to God's presence. He fears that he's going to die because he is impure. And he cries out saying these things. And in his vision, there's this profound moment that instead of God warning Isaiah, like telling Moses to take off his shoes and keep his distance, God does something to Isaiah. Let's read what he, what happens. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah is made holy, made pure, set apart from his moral and ritual impurity by being touched by something in God's presence. And in this case, it was a coal from an altar, uh, a censer bowl near God, right near his throne. Now, unlike um, another prophet Sorry, I just jumped down a the line there. Another prophet of God, Ezekiel, he wrote of a vision that he had as well in Ezekiel 47, where God's presence flows like a river. The holy presence of God wasn't like the sun that we talked about earlier, a death sentence destroying all that come too close or touch it. No, like the colon Isaiah, it transformed, bringing to life all it touched. So unlike the concept of holiness, where purity was demanded to be in the presence of holiness of God, the pure holiness of God's touch, made it possible for him to remain in his presence. Our impurity doesn't pollute God. In love, his holiness cleanses us. Now, in the Bible, holiness is both the taking off of sandals and being transformed by something only God does. Let me say that again. In the Bible, holiness is both taking off sandals and being transformed by something only God does. And as the whole Bible points to Jesus, these two images point to and are fully personified in the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the holiness of God in human form, the manifest presence of God, purely, sinlessly, and perfectly loving God and loving others without failing. Jesus is also the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic call. Through his touch, he makes sinners righteous. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel's streaming river. Everywhere he goes, he transforms and brings life. And that is why we see in in, in verses like Hebrews 12, 14, that we strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's this holiness that we need to have in order to show people the presence of God in our lives. And that's why we also see in First Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I love that line in that verse. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Because to be in holiness means to be in Christ. God has called us to be in him. Like we could go on and read in 1 Peter 2, 22 to 24, or, or 2 Corinthians 5, 20, uh, 521, look those up if you need to. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. We are in Christ, and that is where we gain our holiness. In Jesus We see the lame walk, the demon-possessed set free, healings, signs, wonders, all of which that was impure or dead. Jesus could touch and transform. We could see that life-giving holiness, pure uh, form, being able to reach into our impurity, our brokenness, and bring wholeness, healing, and purity. That's not all we see. That's not the only picture that is painted of what Jesus is and how people react to him. Because yet we also see in the life of Jesus that the proud could become more proud. The corrupt could become more corrupt. We see how tempting it is to cling to our own traditions, our own truths, our own beliefs and behaviors to make us holy. Holy. That idea of the chair and, and adding extra rules and laws and coming up with our own ideas of what it means to be holy. Jesus would call this out in the spiritual elites within his culture, those who were supposedly leading others to God. In Matthew 23, he says this Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte or or follower. And yet when he becomes a follower, you make him twice as much, this is heavy, the child of hell as yourselves. Wow, that's harsh. Why would he say that? He said that because they only focused on one part of holiness, the absence of sin. The set-apartness, the, the purity and being clean, the ritualized way of doing things. And in doing so, they became blind to their need for transformation. The depravity that was inside them, that only the touch of God could bring that clean, that cleansing touch and that purity to them. They were blind to sins that were deeper than our ritual purity or humanity's moral purity. Holiness is not merely the absence of sin. It is us being transformed to live more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus. You see, holiness, it transforms the self-righteous, into growing love for others, even our enemies. Holiness transforms self-defined lives to being children of God, loving our Heavenly Father. There's a reason God is called the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth, truth about who we are. Sinners who fall short and who our good God truly is. See, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, one thing doesn't change. God is holy. We were created in his image. We are created pure. We are created to commune and be with God so closely to experience and know his love in such an amazing way. But we exchanged that life and purity that we had in him to define good and evil ourselves. And since that time, we have been trying to define ourselves, for ourselves, what holiness actually looks like. Working so hard to try and regain that immortal, holy life without the presence of God. Without allowing him to touch and to transform our lives. It's like the idea again of the chair. We, we create our own rules, our own place for, for holiness to exist and for that right living to exist, we create those extra rules and say, this is what it means to be holy. And this is what it means to be holy. And then this is what it means to be holy. Getting further and further away from that chair. And in reality, what that's doing is putting us further and further away from the presence of God, which is what actually transforms us and brings that holiness to our lives. Either humanity in its futility will keep trying to bridge the chasm between God's holiness and our brokenness, or we trust God to transform. And that does involve a choice. The gospel writer Mark highlights this for us. He says, We hear Jesus in this moment here. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man came up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now these are all about moral purity. Remember Isaiah and remember Ezekiel. Holiness isn't Merely the absence of, in this case, murder, adultery, stealing, fraud, or bearing false witness. That's not uh, the extent of holiness. Holiness is about that coal. It's about a river. It's about the person of Jesus transforming our hearts to love God and others. And Jesus, in love, seeing this person, he attempts to transform and change his life. To transform the one thing that this rich young ruler had from being set apart in following Jesus. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Moved by love, Jesus in that moment had attempted to make him holy, to set him apart from what had gripped his heart, his identity. See, Jesus not only looks at him, but loves him. And he loves him so much that he speaks truth to his broken identity. That his life, his rules, his reality was rooted in a temporal treasure and not in an eternal one. The rich young ruler, he was disciplined. He was actually doing some of the spiritual disciplines that we see uh, that we should should be living out in our day to day. Some of the moral uh, rules that we should be following, he was living those out. So do spiritual disciplines like fasting make us more holy, more like Jesus? Because Jesus did all of those things himself. No, only Jesus can make us holy. Only Jesus inside of us can allow us to look more like him. But what obedience does is position us to hear what Jesus may speak to our hearts. And as we let Jesus transform our lives, he speaks things to us. He may speak a word of healing to set us apart from a wound. He may speak a word of separation from an unhealthy identity. He may speak a word of invitation for us to follow him in an area that we have been resisting him. Now, in response, to the promise and perfection that we have in Christ, we set ourselves apart. Not to gain the favor of God so that he will make us holy, but because of his presence in our lives that makes us holy, that, that gives us that righteousness, because of that presence in our lives, our response is obedience in being set apart. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And that's not a fear of of like being afraid of of God sending thunderbolts and lightning down to, to strike us, but it's an awe and a respect for the majesty and the holiness of God and a love for him that causes us to respond that way. Or in Ephesians 5.5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. But nothing unclean, it says in Revelation 21, will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That name on our foreheads, that name on our lives, that identity that we have is found when we we find ourselves in Christ and Christ alone. It isn't our behavior which makes us holy. It is letting Jesus, our better coal, our true and living water, transform us, which brings to life all that is dead in us to be healed, to be made clean, to be made new. So how do we start on this? Where do we go? Our first response is to be in Christ Christ. Our first response is to not be like that rich young ruler who who looked to obey a whole bunch of rules in order to gain acceptance and approval into the kingdom of God and to God's presence. Instead, our, our response should be to get as close to Jesus as possible, to allow his presence to transform our lives, to submit ourselves to who he is in totality so he can then Make our impurities and our brokenness pure and whole again. And He does that by being our our sacrifice for covering our sin and our brokenness on the cross. He covers our iniquity. And when we do that, then we can, like in the words of Thomas Kelly, do this. We can begin where we are. Obey now use what little obedience you are capable of even if it be like a grain of mustard seed begin where you are live this present moment this present hour as you are now you now sit at home in utter submission and openness towards him what is god speaking to you today what word of healing What word of separation, what word of invitation do you hear the Spirit whispering to you today? Begin there and let the love of Christ grow in you. Our response to God's holiness isn't to only take off our sandals and stay at a distance. Our response is to allow his presence to transform us, to recognize that we do stand and live in the presence of a holy God and yet embrace the fact that this holy God, by his presence, by who he is, wants to touch and transform our lives in a way that we could never do. And in response to that, we love him we obey him, and we follow him. Today, as we close in prayer, we're gonna end with a song that speaks and responds to who God is and his holiness towards us, that we do love him. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are holy We can't even begin to understand what your holiness is truly like. Because it is so pure and perfect and and dangerous to us. We can't comprehend it. And yet it is the very presence that we need in order to be transformed and to be in, uh, in union with you to be unified with you, to be in you, Christ. We need your presence in our lives, your holy presence to transform us. God, may we submit ourselves to you. May we look to you and your holiness to transform us. May we hear your voice speak to us, speaking words of healing Words of separation and words of invitation to follow you closer, God. And may in the midst of that, our response be to lay down anything and everything that keeps us from you. Allowing you in turn to transform us and see your holiness personified through us. And as a response to that, our loving response to who you are and what you've done for us is to grow in obedience to you, to grow in obedience to following your words, to love you and to love others as best we can without fail. God, as an act of worship today, we close our service by wanting to sing that we do love you, that our hearts are open in submission to you, So may, as we sing this song together, open our lives to you and your presence, your holy presence, to transform us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.